This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's really good to see all of you here, especially those of you who may have come back a bit late last night. Um, let's go to God in prayer. Hey, Father, as we come before you today, we pray that as we look at your word once again from the book of 2 John, that you help us to really take to heart what it says, that we will know the truth, and the truth will cause us to love one another, and that we will watch out for the deceivers. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. How important is the truth? How important is the truth to you? Uh, does it matter whether you know the truth or not? Now, I say this sadly because we live in a world where, really, uh, the truth is not so very important anymore. Where truth matters less and less to people. We live in a world where, really, we are losing the truth. Uh, so, uh, hey, actually, I, I improved my uh, PowerPoints. You see, after the, after the, the church can I learn a lot from Marty, right? So you'll see a lot of new ideas here. But, you know, the two of the big things which are happening in the world at the moment are Brexit and uh, maybe the impeachment of Donald Trump, right? So, you know, during the time of Brexit, uh, one of the uh, very prominent campaigners made this very famous statement said, where he said, we have enough of experts. And what he really meant was that they didn't really want to rely on hard truth anymore, right? They didn't want to know about financial figures, they didn't want to know about subsidies, they didn't want to know about trade, they didn't want to know about immigration. They wanted to make this really big decision based on their own feelings, their own worries, and their own fears. So, now, if, unless you've been uh, not really paying attention, the next big thing that's been happening recently is the possible impeachment of Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, the President of America. And the impeachment of uh, the president really means where the, 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 the legal system forces the president to step down as president. Now, you think that this is a very, very big issue, and for many Americans, they would be paying very close attention to it. But I was reading an article in the newspaper where for many Americans, they've actually given up trying to find out what is the truth. They don't know what to believe anymore. What is true and what is false, right? Is, is what Donald Trump saying true? Is what other witnesses saying true? Nobody knows what the truth anymore is anymore. And this is the quote I got from the article from the New York Times, where it says, it is not that people believe wrong things that they saw online, but that they stop believing right things or anything at all. Right, so we've come to the stage where we live in a world where we don't know what to believe, what is the truth, and as a result, we don't even know if there's anything that we should believe in at all. So two weeks ago, uh, actually it's a week and a little bit, we had the mosaic talk on scammers and not being scammed and phishing and email scams and whatnot. And uh, Leonard gave a really good talk. And I remember this illustration he gave where that, that there was this uh, article in Stomp where apparently there was this NS man, I know it's a bit blurry, right? There was this NS man and he was accused of not giving up his seat for this old lady. But then actually what they found out was, uh, the next slide, was that someone had doctored the photograph and actually there was a seat right further down the line that the old lady could have sat on. So you see that actually in the world that we live in, 
It's very hard to know what is the truth because we live in a post-truth world where truth is losing its value. We don't know what the truth is anymore. In a sense, the truth doesn't matter anymore. But as Christians, how are we to view the truth? What should be our attitude to the truth? Well, in today's passage, I want you to turn to 2 John. Now, it's not a very long passage, so I'm not going to flash up the passages very regularly. So I need you to have it open in front of you. So have the book of 2 John in front of you. It begins in verse 1 by saying, The elder to the lazy lady chosen by God and to her children whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Now, as we look at just at this very first section, you may sort of be thinking very curiously, what is this letter written? You know, who is this older person, this elder person writing to a woman and a few children, right? Because it's like the elder to the chosen lady and her children. But actually, it's not an old person writing to a lady and her few kids. It's actually a metaphorical language. It's figurative picture language. So in the Bible, the elder is not someone who is just uh, chronologically old, right? But rather, the elder is usually someone who is seen as spiritually mature, who has been put in charge of a church or a congregation. But here, it's not just a elder, an elder, but it's the elder. And according to church history and according to what people have said for many, many millennia, this elder is actually the apostle John. And that's why in your Bibles you see that 1 John is followed by 2 John and 3 John because it is seen as written by the Apostle John. So actually what's happening here is that the Apostle John is writing to the lady and her children. So again in the Bible, the church is often referred to as the bride of Christ or the lady. So here he's writing to the church and her children, which really are the Christians who belong to that church. right? So the Apostle John in 2 John is writing to a church and the Christians within that church. And if you look here in verse 1 to 2, what characterizes the church and the Christians? Well, if you look at this passage, what is the word that keeps being repeated in verse 1 and 2? Right? What is the word? It is the truth. Right? The truth is the distinctive mark or characteristic of the church. So the next slide, I think you click it, right? So the truth, uh, the click it again. So the truth characterizes what is the, the non-negotiable uh, mark of the church and the Christians within it. But the question that we have to ask as we come here is, what is the truth? Right? What truth is he talking about? Is he talking about the truth of Brexit? Is he talking about the truth of Donald Trump? Right? What, what is the truth? Now, I think this is where it's very helpful because if we see that the author of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John are the Apostle John, then actually it helps us because we have just come from the book of 1 John where he speaks a lot about truth. And in fact, last week when we learned from 1 John chapter 5, he ends with the definition of truth. So if you look at this passage here, in 1 John chapter 5, he says, We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin, but the one who was born of God keeps him safe. And the evil one cannot harm him, 
We know that we are children of God and the whole world is under control, the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Now, if you look at these last few verses that we looked at at the end of chapter 5 last week, he keeps saying things that we know, right? We know, we know, we know. And we know truth, right? That's the other word that keeps being repeated here. We know truth. But if you look very carefully, truth is actually both the content of the gospel and truth is also the person. Right? So the first part, the blue part, it's about content, right? We know various things which are true. We know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know that those who are children of God are kept safe in God. We know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding. These are contents which we know to be true. But at the same time, truth is also expressed as a person, right? We know Him who is true. We are in Him who is true. Even His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. So the characteristics then of the church okay, are that we believe in the truth, in the content of the gospel and the Bible, and we know truth in the person of Jesus Christ. Now this is the fundamentals, right? I, I think Marty did a really good job in terms of talking about doctrine and, and what are the fundamentals of our faith. And these are the fundamentals of the faith. The truth found in the content of the Bible, the truth found in the person of Jesus, and these things are like unchangeable. These are the things which are fixed. And these are the things that we are, we are settled on as a church and as Christians. Now this is very important because we live in a world where even as Christians, we've fallen into this temptation where we believe in multiple truths or relative truths. Okay, so we live in a, what we call a postmodern world, right? A postmodern world where we view things in, in relative truths. Okay, so postmodernism is seen as this way. So postmodernism suggests that there is no such thing as objective truth, only multiple relative truths. This is now the era where, some, where something written on the side of a bus is taken as factual truth, while what used to be incontestable expertise is being kicked down the road. Now, I think this is very true because I remember speaking to some Christians and they will say, oh, this is your way of reading the Bible and this is my way of reading the Bible. As if there are two ways of reading the Bible and they can both be true. It cannot be because the Bible expresses itself as one truth in its content in the person of Jesus. So we live in a world where there's this thing called uh, reader response, where because I'm the most important person in the world today, it doesn't matter so much what God says, it matters more what I feel the Bible is saying. I'm the reader, I'm the most important person, I'm uh, preeminent, right? So a white woman in America will read the Bible and receive a different truth. A black person in Africa will read the Bible and he will receive a different truth. 
A Chinese person in Singapore will read the Bible and they might receive a different truth. So there is this thing where I remember talking to this um, theologian uh, from Singapore and he was saying, oh, we need more Asian theologians. Because, you know, in the past, this was the Western truth from the Bible. But today we need the Asian truth from the Bible. But there cannot be Western truth from the Bible and an Asian truth from the Bible. There is only one truth, right? What God wants to communicate to us from the Bible. There is no Asian Jesus or a Western Jesus or a black Jesus or a man Jesus or a woman Jesus. There is only one Jesus. So in that way, we need to start off very firmly in what verse 1 and 2 is saying is that the church must be fixed and grounded on the biblical truth, the content of what God is saying, and the person of Jesus. Now, the Bible uh, then goes on to say, in verse 1 and 2 again, uh, okay, yeah, look at it. I didn't print it out for you now, so you need to look at it in the passage. It says, The elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, but not only I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us, and will be with us forever. Now what it says here is, truth, oh, no, no, not so fast, not so fast. No. <laughs> truth, okay, I'm going to get clicker next time, like, party, right? Okay. Truth um, creates love. Right? You, you notice what it's saying? Truth creates love. Right? Because, if you look at the, the, the truth, then what happens is we must love. Now, actually, I, I, okay, I was right. I, I missed the point, actually. Right? But actually, if you look at this passage, uh, truth is expressed both in content and person. Right? You notice this passage, it says, oh, uh, yeah, go back to the next slide, the further one. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. See all the shadings? So we love each other in the truth, in the content. We know the truth. But yet, at the same time, truth is a person that the, the truth lives in us and we will be with the truth forever. But if you notice, the content of the, tr- the truth and the person of the truth requires us to love one another. So this passage is saying that the Apostle Paul, or sorry, the Apostle John loves the church and the Christians, but other Christians who are in the truth, who know the truth as well, also love other Christians. So what it means is, if you know the truth, if you are in the truth, if you have the truth, and if the truth of Jesus lives in you, you are compelled to love other people. Now we saw that again in 1 John, because the, the, the truth found in the person of Jesus means that we must love one another. Okay, so 1 John chapter 3, Okay, I think this is up here, right? The next slide. Okay, that one? Next one? Oh, okay, so the truth, yeah, love. Okay, great. Okay, so 1 John chapter 3, it says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need and has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. 
and how we set our hearts at peace in His presence whenever our hearts condemn us. See, how do we know that we belong to the truth? We belong to Jesus. We belong to the truth of the Bible. When we love as Jesus loves us. Just as we belong in Jesus, we live with Jesus, Jesus in us, so we must love one another. And in the same way, in verse 4 to 6, if you come with me again to 2 John 4 to 6, it is not just the person of Jesus as truth which compels us to love, but it is the content of truth which compels us to love. So in verse 4 to 6 it says, It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to His commands. And as you've heard from the beginning, His command is that you walk in love. Now, if you look at this passage in uh, verse 4 to 6, in verse 4 it says, if you walk in the truth, then in verse 6, you will walk in love. Now, as we've seen when we're studying 1 John, walking is the idea of living, right? So some of your Bibles may translate walking as living or, you know, living out love and truth. So what it means is that being in the truth is not just an intellectual exercise, right? It's like, you know, it's, it's not as if you just learn something and it's in your mind and you do a test. But if you are in the truth, if you know the Bible, if you know Jesus, then you must walk or live in love. And verse 4 to 6 says that this is a command that is from the very beginning. So it's not as if this is a new command that we have to love one another. Right at the very beginning, God had told His people that they must love. So again, when we studied 1 John, uh, we looked at a similar uh, passage which said the same. The next slide. And we looked at how Jesus said that the whole of the Old Testament is an expression of love. Right? So truth in the Old Testament means that we must love. So verse 25 says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. And again in Matthew chapter 22, oh, I'll cut out the 22. Huh? One of them, an expert of the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So if you are a Christian who is in the truth, who knows the truth, who is of the truth, who belongs to the truth, who walks in the truth, then we must love. And I believe that I see in my own life that the love that comes from knowing the truth about Jesus and the truth about God's word will love even greater than family will love. So when I went to theological college, 
uh, I went there to Sydney. I didn't have a place to live. So I organized to live with a relative who has a double-story house with a nice view of the ocean, nice carpet. So after about four days, uh, the relative came up to me and says, oh, you know, uh, we're really sorry, but we think you have to move out uh, because my, my children were were using crayons and they kept dropping the crayons on the carpet. You know, those really thick, nice carpet, right? So he said, well, look, you know, we'll, we'll let you give you a couple of days to find a place, but, you know, we can't let you stay beyond the weekend. So a complete stranger, a Christian, in the Christian Fellowship University offered for us to stay in her two-bedroom flat while she was away. And I was really amazed, right, because uh, here was a family relative who was kicking us out of their new house with more than enough space, and here was a complete stranger who was a Christian who was offering up her place, uh, and, you know, didn't even know me and my family, uh, keys to the house and you can do whatever you want for as long as you want until I come back. So I think that as a, a, this person, this uh, Christian person, was really showing what 2 John was talking about. If you know the truth, you know the truth about Jesus and his example of love, you know the truth in the Bible where God commands love, then you are compelled to love. At the end of my theological college, I wanted to go on holiday, but uh, I had no car. I sold my second-hand car. So um, somehow word got around, and someone in the church said, oh, you know, my son uh, has, uh, has left their car in my house, and we haven't been using it. So would you like to borrow it and just, you know, take it for a couple of weeks and then come back and just, you know, just fill out the petrol? And we didn't even know these people. You know, they were like complete, complete strangers to us. Um, but I was really touched that, that they were willing to do that <clears throat> because uh, that was such a great act of love and generosity to us. So I think that as Christians, we may know the truth, right? We just come back from church camp where we fill our minds with doctrine, but we must express that in love for one another. So one of the things that I noticed at camp was that, you know, our, our church has people who we can sh- help in love, like, uh, like you know, Sarah and Joyce, with the baby, uh, some people may have problems where you know they need help, and I think for ourselves we need to be like Jesus and sacrifice our time and sacrifice of ourselves to show love to these people uh, who are in need because that's what the character of the church must be. We are in truth, but we are also in love. Oh, is that slide still there? Yeah. So we are in truth, and we are also in love. That's what must be the characteristics of a church. Now, this is really important because um, as we've been going through uh, the Bible, especially in 1 John, th- those two themes keep coming around. Hopefully you're all bored of these two themes. Really, right? Truth and love must always be together. But here in verse 3, if you look at me in verse 3, it tells us that in truth and in love is where we find the grace and the mercy and peace from God. Because it says that grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, God's Son, will be with us in truth and in love. You see, in that one verse, it sums up how if we have truth and we have love, then we will have the grace, the mercy and the peace from God. Now these three things, grace, mercy, and peace, are 
are not things like, you know, wishes. Like, you know, you go to McDonald's and they say, have a nice day. It's kind of like this meaningless thing, right? I hope you have a nice day or whatever. But, but these are eternal realities, right? You will have mercy, grace, and peace if you are characterized by truth and love. So it's, it's so ironic because um, about three weeks ago, before the church camp started, we met up with the children's church helpers. Actually, we are really thankful because these people come from other churches and they come to look after our kids during the church camp so that the children's church uh, people in our church can, can help. Uh, and don't have to help and they can sit in, in the services. In fact, we need a lot more people helping out the children's church. So if you are learning about the truth and loving, then you should serve in children's church as well. But anyway, we'll be talking to these uh, very enthusiastic uh, helpers uh, who came to be traumatized, I mean, uh, help teaching during the uh, church camp. And this girl... I was asking them, you know, how do you all become Christians? And one of the ladies said, oh, I became a Christian because I went to church and I finally understood what grace and mercy meant. Right? That's what she said. I finally became a Christian when I understood what grace and mercy meant. And grace is, she said, getting something that you do not deserve. Right? Grace is, you, you get something which is undeserved. You don't deserve it, but I'm... Because of grace, God gives it to you. You didn't earn it, but God is gracious. He gives it to you. So we receive from God things that we do not deserve, like forgiveness, like Jesus, like eternal life. We don't deserve these things, but God is gracious. He is grace. He gives it to us. Mercy is not getting what I do deserve. Right? That's what mercy is. I I deserve to be punished. I deserve death. I deserve God's wrath. I That's what I deserve. But, instead, I don't receive those things. Right? Oh, you, you put them all up already. Okay, so, see, grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is, you deserve death, but actually, you don't get death. And because of God's grace and mercy, we now have peace with God. We have relational peace. We have tranquility. We have we have well-being in every level. Now, this is so important because what he's really trying to emphasize is you only receive these things when you live in truth and in love. Uh, so we, we do our membership and baptism classes and we always look at the book of Revelation and we just did one of the passages in the responsive reading. Now, I realize that as we're reading it, it's too fast for us to really understand what's happening. But if you look at the passages in the letter to the church of Ephesus and the church of Tyratira, uh, Jesus is not happy with these churches. And he's not happy with these churches because they are lacking one of those two things. In the church of Ephesus, they have truth, but they do not have love. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden, golden lampstands. I know your deeds... I know your hard work, your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked men that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. So they know the truth, right? They don't tolerate falsehood. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. The church in Ephesus has truth but no love. The church in Thyatira are the opposite. To the angel of the church in Tyre, write, 
These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and you're doing, you're now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So one church in Ephesus has truth, but not love. The church in Tyratira has love, but no truth. And in both instances, Jesus is angry with them. So for ourselves as a church, as a congregation, as individuals, as Christians, we need to have truth and love. We cannot have one without the other. So in verse 7 to 8 onwards, it tells us why we need to to know this, why we need to keep harping on truth and love. So verse 7 it says, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Now, I think the uh, New English, no, the NIV, the, the New International Version is not very helpful in its translation here. Uh, so if you look at the next slide, okay, so... Oh, okay, yeah. So if you look at the next slide, you see the NASB or the ESV actually translates it more accurately. Okay, so if you click it twice, because both of them begin with a for or because. So why does he keep harping about the truth and love? For or because many deceivers have gone out into the world. See, the background and the context is he wants you to know that we need to know the truth, be in the truth, belong to the truth, walk on the truth, walk in love, because many believers have gone out into the world. In fact, they are living in a world not very unlike our world. They are living in a world where truth is losing its importance. Right? Truth is mattering less and less. They are losing the truth. They are being deceived from truth into untruth, truth into falsehood, truth into lies. So, he says to them, watch out, right, very strongly, watch out for these people so that you do not lose what you have worked for. Now, what are they to watch out for? Okay, this is a very strong command. Be on your guard, watch out for these people. Well, the immediate context was that there were, there were these false teachers who were teaching that Jesus had not come in the flesh. Okay, so we already touched on this at the church camp where we said that there were, there were a lot of false teachers who went around in the past who said, look, if Jesus comes just in the spirit or like he's a ghost, right? If he's just a ghost, then Jesus cannot really die for our sins. Right? He, there's no, he cannot be our penal substitute. He doesn't take the penalty and substitute himself for us because he's not really fully human. But the principle that he points to, <clears throat> the principle that he points to in, is in verse 9, right? So the example he gives is that these false teachers are teaching that Jesus did not come in the flesh. 
But the principle that he uses is in verse 9, where these people are running ahead of the truth. They're running ahead of the teaching found in the Bible about the content and about the person of Jesus. Oh, you went so fast already. Okay, so, so, no, no, take the one away. One more click, yeah, take this one. Okay, so, so all these people, right, all the church and all the Christians, okay, and we are all in the truth. We belong to the truth. We know the truth. We are walking in the truth. But then what happens is the temptation is people run ahead of that truth, right? So they, I mean, literally they advance beyond the truth. They're going beyond the truth. Okay, okay, now you can click, yeah. Okay, so there are all these people, then, oh, too fast, yeah, yeah. Then move across out of the truth. And then the problem is that then actually they are going to a place where God is not there. That's what it says, isn't it? Very clearly. They are, they do not have God. If they run ahead of the truth, if they advance beyond the teaching of Christ, they do not have God. They've gone from the truth where they are with the Father and the Son into an area where they have no God at all. Now that's why in verse 10 and 11, it says to the Christians and the church, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked ways. Now, what does it mean here? Uh, to do not invite them into your house. Uh, does it mean hospitality? Uh, it could also mean that don't welcome them into the church because in the past people used to meet in the church. Because if you welcome them into the church, it says that you are actually sharing in their, in their, in their work. You're partnering in their work of deceiving people. Uh, if you come back me to the passage... Uh, it says in verse 7, right? It says, um, Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Now you, you, use this, you see this word, gone out into the world. It's a very common word, but it's often used as well to talk about missionary work. You know, like, so the disciples of Jesus, they went out and then they brought the gospel somewhere. They went out. So actually, in some ways, this word gone out is often used in terms of mission work. So what he's really saying is, these deceivers have gone out on mission work, but they're not doing mission work for the gospel of Jesus. Their mission work is to deceive people. So if you welcome them into your house, or you welcome them into your church, you are actually partnering in them, in their mission work to bring lies and falsehood into the world. And I think that's why it's so important for us today uh, to recognize uh, that if someone is a false teacher that we should, we should call them out as they are and not welcome them and welcome their teaching into our church or into our own congregations. But the problem is nowadays, very, very few people are willing to actually call out false teachers or false teaching. They're willing to say, oh, this is just a different interpretation of the Bible. Or this is just another way of understanding the Bible. They're really Christians, we shouldn't be judging them. But that would be unfaithful to what God is saying here in 2 John. Because he says, don't welcome them into your church, right? Watch out for them because these people are deceivers. You're partnering with them in their deception. So there's this guy called Martin Lloyd-Jones many years ago. Uh, the next slide. Uh, it's a very old book. You can't see it very clearly. Um, 
but he wrote this book called The Basis of Christian Unity. Okay, and what he said was, uh, the next slide, was that true unity is found in the truth. This is how we are united. We are united in the truth, in the content of the teaching of the Bible, and in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, so the next slide is, this is how we are united. These are truly united in the truth. But the danger is, there are many, many churches or many Christians who are outside of the truth. But in the desire to have unity, what happens is, we say that we are all united. We are all Christians. And what happens then is that we welcome people who are outside of the truth to, to preach and teach us in lies and deception. And we ourselves lose the truth and we lose the Father and the Son. We lose grace and mercy and peace. Because we no longer remain the truth, we fail to be on our guard. We fail to watch out. And therefore, we have welcomed the deceivers to deceive us. So I'm going to do something uh, controversial today. I'm going to call out uh, one false teaching or false book that I heard recently. Right. So recently, someone told me about this book written by Joseph Prince. Right? And, uh, and apparently, uh, this person was telling me about this book where... Um, he basically talks about the Holy Communion. And I've actually known of uh, some people who practice this, where they say that you need to have the Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper, which we're going to have later, as often as possible, and you should do it at home every day. Why? Why should you have the Holy Communion and Lord's Supper every day? Because, as it says here at the back of the book, this is from uh, Amazon, right? So I didn't make this up. That actually, uh, if you have the Communion or the Lord's Supper as, possible, as often as possible, it will give you life. And it's got healing properties, right? It's like, they'll give you health. But when you ask yourself the question, okay, let's go back to the principle, right? How do you recognize false teaching and false teachers? What is the principle that we are to apply? You need to remain in the truth, not run ahead of the truth, right? You're not meant to advance beyond the truth. So what does the Bible say? What does God's truth, God's word say about the Holy Communion? Does it say that having the Holy Communion gives you health? Does it say that having the Holy Communion gives you life? Does it say that the Holy Communion gives you health benefits? Well, this is what it says in the Bible. These are all the passages I could find uh, in the Bible about the Holy Communion, right? So Jesus took bread, he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Eat this so you'll be healthy. No, it does not say that, right? It says, do this in remembrance of me. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for I, receive what I, for I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said to them, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the cup, sorry, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in re- Remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the Holy Communion, according to the truth, God's word, is the proclamation of the person of Jesus in his death. It proclaims the work of Jesus. So you remember the diagram that Marty Ford had? It proclaims the work of Jesus and the person of Jesus, who He is, what He has come to do, He has come to bring forgiveness of sins. He dies 
in our place as a penalty, penal substitution. So there's nothing here which talks about health or, or life or health benefits. And by doing so, you are actually going beyond or running beyond the truth. You've advanced beyond what God's Word says. And actually it's very dangerous because in 1 Corinthians 11 again it says, Therefore whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who drinks and eats without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So actually what the passage says in the Bible, according to the truth is, the Holy Communion is not something that we can play with. Right? It's something that has deep spiritual significance. It's something that is very has spiritual importance before God. And you cannot just come to it and just do it in a very casual manner as if it's, you know, like having a, a, a vegan or a keto diet, right? It's like not part of your, your dietary uh, you know, intake. It is actually remembering the death of Jesus Christ and the body of Jesus Christ himself. So if we recognize this, then what this passage tells us to do is we need to be very clear about what the truth is and not run ahead of the truth. And when we hear people who run ahead of the truth, then we need to say, okay, this is wrong and this cannot be part of what we believe and what we practice. So in conclusion, as we come to the end of this passage, um, yep, you can click on that, yep. Uh, I remember um, uh, Don Carson who uh, wrote this uh, book. He said that actually... What is the number one virtue in the world today? What, what is the one thing where the secular world will pat you on the back and give you lots of uh, you know, likes on your Facebook or your Instagram? What is that one attitude that people really value in the world today? Uh, it is tolerance, right? Uh, if you are a tolerant person, everybody will say, oh, you know, you're very enlightened, you're very progressive. Uh, it's okay, you know, in the world we live in, it's okay to sleep around. It's okay to have adultery. It's okay to, uh, to cheat and to lie. These are all forgivable, but the biggest sin is to be intolerant. But I think for us as Christians, the most important value is not tolerance, but the most important value is the truth. But that is what really counts for us. The truth is so important that we will do everything to remain in the truth in the teaching of the Bible, in Jesus Christ. And that must mean that there are times where we will say, this is not the truth. We will be seen to be intolerant. We will say, no, that's not right. That's, that's wrong. That's not what the Bible says. And we will say, this is not welcome in our, in, our, in our thinking. This is not welcome within our church. Because as we've seen, uh, the next slide, the, the cause is so great. If you are outside of the truth, if you run ahead of the truth, if you advance beyond the truth, you will lose grace, mercy, peace, and you will lose your relationship with the Father and with the Son. So we need to remain in the truth. We need to walk in the truth. We need to belong to the truth, to know the truth. And indeed, the truth will be with us forever in the person of Jesus. Let's go to God and pray. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we thank you for this very short letter to John. But its truths are so striking and powerful that we must be characterized by truth 
the truth in the content of the Bible, truth in the person of Jesus, and that truth must compel us to love. Dear Father, help us to know that this book was written because there are many deceivers in this world and we are not to welcome them. We are not to welcome their teaching. We are to reject it. And we are to recognize this false teaching by whatever runs ahead or goes on ahead of your truth, the teaching of Jesus, found in your word. Dear Father, we live in a world where truth matters less and less. We live in a world where we are told to be tolerant of all sorts of truth. Father, help us to see that as Christians, truth matters greatly to us. That we must hold on to that truth. For it's only within that truth where we will receive grace, mercy, peace, and relationship with you. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.